Today I have a, a message that I want to bring to your attention that I hope, I really hope makes sense. I hope it's not too loony. I hope it's not, well, and I use the word loony intentionally. Because I want to preach about the moon. Okay? I'd like to bring you a message about the moon. This past week was the annual supermoon. Anybody know that the supermoon phenomenon happened this past week? Raise your hand if you knew that. If you didn't, well, I'm so glad to enlighten you. And it didn't just happen for my household. And it didn't just happen for our church or our city, our state. You know who it happened for? How many, how many got to see the supermoon? Does anybody know how many? Did, and, and I'm just talking about the world. What part of the world was able to see the supermoon? Everybody say, all of it. It was a global phenomenon. The whole earth saw it. And so my wife, my daughter and I, we were in the little town of Uray when the supermoon happened. So we stepped out and got a, an amazing view. My, my daughter took a cool, really cool picture I want to show you in just a minute of the supermoon. Annual event where the moon in its elliptical orbit is closer to the earth than ever and much brighter than at other times. So, y'all just hang on for the ride. Let me show you some beautiful pictures of the supermoon. You're like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today to see some moon pictures. Well, here's what it looked like in Athens, Greece. Maybe we can share that picture right there. There's a supermoon picture in Athens, Greece. Now, that's a long ways from here, folks. Isn't it amazing? Same moon, right? Same beautiful supermoon. Then, if you were in the desert outside of Jerusalem in Israel, here's the Judean desert picture of the supermoon. And now, let me take you to Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey. There's a picture from Istanbul. And then, how about Malaysia? The, it's actually the, the, the Skyview Center in Singapore, Malaysia. Here it is. Through the smog, you can still see the beautiful, full supermoon. And then here in North America, Boise, Idaho, a picture of the supermoon. Absolutely beautiful. Over the Jefferson Memorial in our nation's capital, if you had been there, you could have seen something very similar to this, the supermoon happening there. And then New Jersey State Fair in Hackensack. Here's what the, the supermoon looked like. Now, deep in the heart of the Colorado Rockies, here is my daughter's picture of the supermoon. Isn't that awesome? My word, I just think that is just the most pristine and pure. If you could zoom in, the, which you can't, but if you could zoom in, the craters are so evident with her photography. It's just, it's just I think, in my opinion, it's like, wow, that's the best supermoon in the whole world, so we got a special treat. So I'm like, man, I'm so sorry for the rest of the world, but Colorado got the best supermoon of all. But except for Colorado, it seems, the face of that moon, the face of that moon presents the same 
all the way around the world. It's the same. Due to its synchronized orbit, everybody say synchronized orbit. I don't know if you realize that's what's happening, but we have a God who created an incredible, all the celestial bodies are incredible and beautiful. But the moon is exceptional. It has what's called a synchronized orbit with the earth. The moon has a near side and a far side. It has a light side and a dark side. Now, humans never saw the dark side or the far side until space flight took orbiters to the other side of the moon. And I find this so intriguing, in, in fact, kind of mind-blowing, that we see the same moon that has been facing the earth since the beginning of time. This moon could tell us some stories, couldn't it? Tower of Babel, flood of Noah, volcanoes, I mean, you know, upheaval, social crisis, Floods, fires, whatever the case may be, the world spinning out of control at times, would it seem? And then others when there's peace and prosperity. But the moon just keeps on shining, and it keeps shining the face that it presents to everyone towards the earth. I find it intriguing that the earth's nightlight always presents the same face to the world. The same face. Please, would you say that with me? The same face? The same face. So I'm going to take my text from Revelation 14, and I want you all to check this verse out with me. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Woo. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and earth the sea and springs of water the same face the same face throughout history we humans have tried hard to understand heaven and the heavens and celestial understanding has been something to be probed because it is absolutely phenomenal and incredible to, 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 in a night that is dark to stare up at the starry heavens. Folks, the stars of our sky have been literally counted and studied. Seas navigated, seasons are understood by the stars. The ancients realized that some stars are relatively fixed, like Polaris, the North Star, 
is fixed in its place, while others swirl in the sky due to the rotation of the earth. Think about this now. A few stars, they, they mystified astronomers of old. They started calling them wandering stars because they just didn't seem to have a pattern. Wandering stars. And later they realized, oh, those are planets. Oh, but the moon. Everybody say the moon. The moon has always had a certain fascination to we mortals. The waxing and the waning of the moon is a mystery that even as a child I remember trying to grapple with. Seeing it for the first time as a 3D dimensional object in the heavens was mind-blowing to me when I realized I'm not just looking at a flat disc. I'm looking at a ball up there that's floating in the sky beautifully. Humans have wanted to experience the moon close up. And, of course, only a few have had that privilege. Not long ago, hosted at the Johnson Space Center, there was a memorial service for the first man to ever step foot on the moon, Neil, what's his last name? Armstrong. And at the base of a tree dedicated to his memory is this picture, cast the first footprint on the moon. And it says on the plaque, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The moon is, I think, a comfort I think it's a comfort to we mortals on this planet because it's a nightlight. But more than this, I've long thought that there's something that the moon represents that is far greater than potentially we may have ever really let it be meaning in our lives. So today, I'd like to change the course of your thinking, especially now as we are sitting and standing and we are actually at the entrance of summertime Memorial Day weekend, would you have an opportunity to look up and see the moon shining in the sky regardless of the phase? I hope and pray that today, starting this moment, we'll begin to think of the moon in a completely different light. I am starting to think more and more as I pray and study and think about it that the, there's really nothing better as a heavenly body than the moon to represent the church of the living God. Now, you're like, oh boy, the moon, the church, what do that have to do with each other? Well, here's my reasoning. The sun, great big ball of fire in the sky, it's compared to our Lord. Malachi saw him as the son of righteousness. If you remember that, say amen. John the Revelator saw his countenance, the countenance of Almighty God, as the shining sun, right? So I can see that as being almighty Jehovah God, the sun. And then the earth, you're like, well, what was the, what's the earth compared to? Well, it's compared to the world. The earth you're sitting on today, the earth you walk, the earth you fly over, the earth you live in. And here, here's why it's compared to the world, because it drank the blood of Abel. And the ground was cursed. Men of the earth, like Esau, the Bible says, they go the way of all the earth. Worldly people live for worldly things. So to carry that comparison further, isn't it strange, maybe not so strange, to think of the moon 
as emblematic of the church, capital C. Now, I want you to stop and think about it, right? So, so give me just a little suspended disbelief for a moment and think about this. Not really as strange as it sounds. The moon is united with the earth, yet it's separated by nearly a quarter million miles. It's part, yet not part. It's in the world, but not of the world. It's pulled on by the world, but pulled on also by a distant sun. Can somebody say amen? Does that sound familiar to the church of the Most High God? I want you all to think about this. When you start thinking about the moon, I hope it starts to upgrade your thought process about the church. Because the church is in this world, but not of this world. The church is the ecclesia in Greek, which means the called out ones. We are not a part of what's happening on this earth, but we are still bound to the orbit of this earth. We are separated, but we are not of this earth. We have been called from this cursed planet to commune in heavenly places. And I wonder if somebody here today is grateful with me that we are sitting this morning in heavenly places, worshiping God from our place of worship in our seat or whether we're standing. We're so glad we get to commune in heavenly places. Now, now when Moses blessed the tribe of Joseph, he spoke of precious things brought forth by the heavens, the earth, the mountains, and he even spoke of the moon. So a couple things about the moon. I, I, I I can't say that I know exactly what Moses had in mind when he was blessing the tribe of Joseph. I can't say why he brought up the moon up and discussed that the, that, that the tribe of Joseph was blessed with the moon. I can't tell you. But I do think I can share with you some very precious traits that are found in the moon. Are you all ready for this? Number one, the moon influences From ancient times, brothers and sisters, people have thought the moon exerts great influence on people. We use the word loony, just like I did this morning. The word lunatic, (laughs) it indicates those who we feel are acting strange. And the words themselves, they originate from the word lunar. Our forefathers thought people could be moonstruck. All sorts of things are blamed on the phases of the moon. Increased birth rates, suicide rates, crime rates. The moon is said to have an influence on them all. Now, the moon's gravitational pull is not nearly as strong as that of the sun or of the earth. Think about this for a minute. I want you all, you scholars, to really start thinking now because I want want to sit here realizing, wow, I'm a part of a church and the church. And these are some concepts that potentially have not been absorbed into our thought processes until now. And the Lord has just allowed them to filter into my spirit to share them with you. I am believing, brothers and sisters, that, that, that by God's grace, if we can say that, 
that the moon actually has that kind of influence on the earth and has the influence it does on population, on rates of crime and suicide and birth and all that. I don't know if that has any validity. However, I do know that the moon does influence something really, really big on the planet. Does anybody know what it influences? The ocean's tides. When the moon passes over the earth, she pulls the waters toward her. Oh, her gravitational pull is obvious. It's evident. Now, like I said, it's not nearly as strong as the sun. And it's not nearly as strong as the earth. However, she's able to draw the oceans into domes. And after passing by, to release the waves and cause them to bring teeming life to earth's shores. It's a silent but invisible, silent but visible and tangible influence. I mean, how many of you have lived far from any ocean life? But when you go to the ocean and you realize, why is the water so far down there? Oh, the tide's out. Just give it a few hours. You walk out and say, is this the same place? Oh, the tide's in. The church, brothers and sisters, I want you all to catch this with me. The church, in a similar sense, influences her world. Woo, I'm so glad to be a part of the church. She is the salt to the earth's decay. The world is decaying at a faster rate than you can possibly begin to imagine, but we are the preserving factor. Jesus Christ himself said, you are the salt of the earth. And the church as the moon is the truth to the world's error. I thank God for that influence that the church has. The world is filled with error, erroneous thoughts and erroneous narratives and things people think up and, and they're just wandering stars, if you will. But you have the opportunity today to understand there is a church that is the truth to the world's error. If I were you, I'd say, God, please help me to find a church. I want to be a part of the truth to this world's error. I want to be a place where there's righteousness to the world's wickedness. That is the church, absolutely. That, that influence is there. It's, it's there. But not only does the moon influence, but the moon lights. The moon is a light in the darkness. Paul said there's a separate glory of the sun and of the moon. Their glories are different. The moon is different than the sun. Now the glory and the splendor of the sun is that it has energy within itself. It doesn't have to ask anybody for energy. It doesn't have to ask anybody for permission. It just shines. The sun is powerful and energetic. That incandescent, fiery star that we know as the center of our solar system is filled with raw power. From its molten, gaseous surface spews towering rockets of plasma launched into space at speeds of over 5 million miles per hour. It's estimated that a single second of the sun's power, if you could harness it, could surpass all the energy needs of our world for 100 years. But the sun is compared to God today. The glory of the sun differs from the glory of the moon. 
I thank God for the glories and the power of the Son, and I thank God for His power and His strength and His influence in my life. But today, I'd like for us to just turn our attention to the church, just like the moon, church. Can I, can I just share some thoughts with you? The moon has no light of her own. If you go to NASA and you gaze at some of the rocks that they brought back from the moon's surface, just a little examination of those rocks will show you that the rock seems full of glass and crystals. So isn't it beautiful that when God created the moon, he made the moon to have a different glory. (laughs) Its glory is not a shining light from within. The moon catches the light from another world and reflects it into the darkness. Woo! (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Come on now, when we start talking about the moon, I want you to realize that the moon's glory is not one of projection, but it's one of reflection. God, help us to catch this and understand our utter dependency on the Son of Righteousness who rises with healing in His wings. I've got to have the Son. I've got to have the power of the Son. You and I as a church, if we have no power of the Son, then we have no power within ourselves. We have no glory. We have no light. We have no influence. We are depending upon the glory of Almighty God to be our glory. Woo! Amen. We're not projecting. We're not projecting. Can I just remind you, please, we're not rejecting, we're, we're not reflecting, uh, we're not projecting, <laughs> we're not projecting. We don't have our own power, we don't have our own light source, we can't put on our own batteries and say, okay, now we're going to shine, now we're going to, no, 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 we are not projection, we're reflection. So folks, that's why we need all the sun shine we can get. We need to get together on prayer meeting nights. We need to get together on worship midweeks. We need to get together on weekends. We need to be together and we need to pray for God to let his light shine upon us. And I want to tell you, when you really let the the light of the sun shine upon us, what happens? We can't help it. But we instantly become reflectors of that glory wherever we go. Isn't it amazing how the church is so similar to the moon? Paul in 2 Corinthians likens the law to the passing glory on the face of Moses. That glory was fading. And as it was fading, he put a veil over his face. That's in, that's in 2 Corinthians. But you know the whole point that Paul's making is this. The church has a more permanent glory. Everybody who wants to be a part of the church, say amen. Everybody who wants to be sure that you're anchored firmly, that you have no alternative but to be a part of the church of the living God, let's look together at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And I want to just have you look at it with me from the New Living Translation. You can look at it from your own translation in time to come, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. Listen to this. All of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him, and we reflect His glory even more. Probably never would have thought that looking at the King James, would you? You have to study it more carefully, dive in and dissect it. But I'm going to tell you what it's saying is this. You are a mirror as the church of the Most High God. 
And when the light flicks off, if it ever does, because you can't count on the light ever flicking off because the light's never going to go out. But I'm going to tell you something. The light of Almighty God will go out if you get yourself hidden under a bushel. If you get yourself hidden in a closet or you hold the righteousness of God in unrighteousness, the truth you hold in secret and you try to stay in your own place of privacy when it comes to your faith. Folks, it's time for us to say, God, get me out of the closet. Get me out of the fear zone. Get me out of the place where I'm afraid to share. I want to be a reflection. God, make us a reflection. All of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord works in me. Everybody say me. Everybody say, God, please let your Spirit work in me. Lord, let your Spirit work in me. And as it works in me, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. And do not get mixed up to think that it's your glory, that it's your light, that it's your influence, that it's your smile and your personality, or it's your good looks. No. Folks, it's got nothing to do with me, nothing to do with you. Just as the moon can't shine without the sun, folks, we can't gospel witness without the power of Almighty God. Lord, shine on me. Lord Jesus, let me reflect the light of another world into this present darkness everywhere I go. I want to be a shining light so that wherever I am, people will know that I'm not the same. I'm not this world. I'm not of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. As long, folks, can I tell you, brothers and sisters, we've got to reflect this light. Shine it, shine it, shine it, amen. And, and, but, but isn't it impossible to shine it if you're not reflecting something outside of yourself? This is where we must open ourselves with humility to the presence and the power of God and know that he has that power, but we must take the veil off and let him shine. The veil of our ignorance or the veil of our pride. Those things veil and make us look just like everyone else. So I, that's why we come to churches so we can say, God, remove the veil today. And, Lord, let the veil be removed all week. When I get on the light rail, whenever I get to work, when I go to the bank or the grocery store, Lord, I'm taking the veil off. I want to be a part of the church of the Most High God, reflecting the light from another world into this present darkness. So long as we remain separated from the world and true to our calling, we can catch the light of the sun. And reflect it to a world in desperate need of hope and strength. Folks, our our world needs hope. Oh, God, help us today. Our world needs strength. Our world needs truth today. How about we just stop right now and let's pray for God to help us to catch the light of the sun in this service this morning. In the next few moments when we pray, when we, when we get to the place of conclusion, let us make sure, God, that we have caught the light of the sun and we're reflecting it to a world in a desperate need. In Jesus' name. Now, all these are interesting factors, but I want to just tell you I'm intrigued today by what captured my attention in looking at supermoon photos. And that is, the moon presented the same face, regardless of where. You could be standing on the planet at any location, and you'll always see the same face 
of the moon. It seems to me that the heavens command that the church of the living God always has the same message of hope to the world. Folks, I don't care what the Supreme Court rules or doesn't rule. I don't care what the changing mores and rules of the culture may be. The message of the church never changes. It remains the same. It doesn't matter who's the president. It doesn't matter who the governor is. It doesn't matter what men say. It doesn't matter what women say. Folks, we have got to be the church presenting the same face wherever we may be. Folks, if you're running from the military in the jungle of Burma, you're still the church of the Most High God. If you happen to be standing on mountains, if you happen to be in valleys, if you happen to be in a river, if you happen to be in a hopeless situation, folks, I'm going to tell you, let the power of the Holy Ghost begin to shine so you can present the same face that has always been presented since the beginning of creation. Oh God, I believe it's time for us to let that message of hope be our face, regardless of what happens. Revelation 14, the very first verse we read, it's part of a desperate time on this earth. Revelation 14. That's, that's known as the tribulation. The great tribulation, as a matter of fact, And there were three angels that appear in four verses. Three angels in four verses. The second angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. What is Babylon? Babylon is that primal seat of anti-God, anti-Christ religion. That second angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. And the third angel pronounces doom on the followers of the Antichrist and doom on all of those who worship the beast and take his mark. That third angel pronounces the wrath of God is to fall upon them. That's the third angel. But before these angels of judgment and angels of bad news, John the Revelator, who is writing Revelation 14, he sees the angel of the everlasting gospel (laughs) that we read in our text today. The work of this angel appears to proclaim in the heavenlies out of nowhere. Boom, here is the angel in the heavenlies and making a proclamation. And you know what? He as an angel appears to loose be loosed in the heavenlies to come and to share the power of something that hasn't been seen upon this planet. That is the power of the saving gospel. I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, how that the gospel in Revelation 14, 6 is called everlasting. Everybody say everlasting. This gospel having the everlasting gospel to preach and to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, everywhere you go, wherever you may be watching or looking or hungry or tender or in a need, you can look to the moon to shine the same face wherever you are. Folks, the world is always changing and by itself, it's always changing. And I'm just sad to say that it's never for the better. 
It's the second law of thermodynamics that the world is just constantly being pulled away from that which is righteous and that which is holy and that which is whole. You know, the first law of thermodynamics is conservation of energy, right? Who cares about that? But this one's what counts right here. Second law is entropy, that things tend to move from order to falling apart and to disorder. Things disintegrate. Things spin out of control. They just lose what orderliness they may have had at one point or another. So I'm going to tell you again, this world is constantly changing. And Arthur Schlesinger Jr. said these words, nothing defines our age more than the furious and relentless increase in the rate of change. Did y'all catch that? Nothing defines our age more than the furious and relentless increase in the rate of change in our age. Folks, that's why I am going to say, God, stop the drift and stop the fallout. I'm not going down with the ship. By God's grace, I'm going to find a place to get some footing and I'm going to get a place to get a good anchor and I'm going to stop the decline in my home, stop the decline in my family, stop the decline in my world if I possibly can and I, by God's grace, will not go down with the world. Let me just give you an example, okay? I found this, I found this floor nurse ancient piece of paper that you can find if you look online. But the duties of a floor nurse in 1887. This will help you see what changes we have experienced in our world today. In 1887, it says, in addition to caring for your 50 patients, each nurse follows these regulations. Are you ready? Okay, 1887. Nurses, pay attention. Here we go. Daily, you need to sweep and mop the floors of your ward. Dust the patient's furniture and windowsills. Maintain an even temperature in your ward by bringing in a scuttle of coal for the day's business. Light is important to observe the patient's condition. Therefore, each day, fill kerosene lamps, clean chimneys, and trim wicks. Wash windows once a week. The nurse's notes are important in aiding the physician's work, so make your pens carefully. In 1887, you got to make your pens carefully while you may whittle nibs to your individual taste, whatever that means. Each nurse on day duty will report every day at 7 a.m., leave at 8 p.m., except on the Sabbath, on which day you will be off from noon to 2. Graduate nurses in good standing with the director of nurses will be given an evening off each week if you go regularly to church. Each nurse should lay aside from each payday a goodly sum of her earnings for her benefits during her declining years so she will not be a burden. For example, nurses in 1887, if you earn $30 a month, you should set aside $15. Any nurse who smokes uses liquor in any form, gets her hair done at a beauty shop, or frequents dance halls, will give the director of nurses good reason to suspect her worth, intentions, and integrity. The nurse who performs her labors, serves her patients and doctors faithfully, and without fault for a period of five years, will be given an increase by the hospital administration of five cents a day providing there are no hospital debts that are outstanding. Folks, 
That right there is straight from the MCCC faculty and staff web pages for a floor nurse in 1887. Now, can you ask yourself right now, have things changed? Now, I appreciate a lot of advances. Air conditioning, thank God, right? In fact, I think think one day I'm going to preach about air conditioning being one of life's wonders. I like modern conveniences, absolutely. But can I just get serious with you for a second and tell you when the bells on the National Cathedral rang to acclaim that same-sex marriage decision by the Supreme Court is okay, it tells me that this world is not necessarily changing for the better. It's changing to be more worldly and less godly. It's changing because of the pull of the earth and unfortunately not the pull of the sun. There's got to be some people who say, God, wake me up to who I am. I am not of this earth. I am part of a powerful external body of believers who are not of this earth. We draw our power from a greater source. We draw our power from an outer, otherworldly source. And there are some who just wistfully say, if we can just go back. Well, I appreciate that sentiment. Wouldn't it be nice? Yes. But this world is marching forward on the broad path that leads to destruction. So turning the clock back is probably not going to change the world's trajectory, friends. What an ever-changing world needs is a never-changing gospel. The same face has got to keep shining. The same face has got to be turned to the world. The same face has got to be ready at any moment to proclaim the glorious gospel. That angel is described as carrying the everlasting gospel. God's word is forever settled in heaven. There will never be a new gospel. There will never be a new word. There's always the gospel of Jesus Christ that is forever settled in the pages of your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Remember, brothers and sisters, Paul was stunned by the Galatians that they were moved to a different gospel. Paul said that though an angel from heaven preached any other gospel, let him be accursed. So today, as I conclude, I'm going to tell you there is only one gospel, and that's the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you all just to open up your hearts right now and let's start receiving the gospel. Let's start letting the light of the sun shine. So when we leave here today, everybody who sees us is going to say, wow, there is something different about you. Well, I'm so thankful that you noticed because I have a gospel that is unchanging. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was seen in the tabernacle, in the brazen altar of the Old Testament, the brazen labor of the Old Testament, and the Ark of the Covenant. All those were just symbols. We see the substance. We see that Jesus Christ is indeed the brazen altar. He is the brazen labor, and he is the Ark of the Covenant, all wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one faith. There is a common salvation. The Bible calls it common salvation. Delivered once and for all to the saints. So brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. We are a church called Calvary. Not because we've all worshipped around that geographical location of Calvary in the Bible world, in the Bible lands. 
but we are Calvary because we love to consider the fact that we start at Calvary. We begin at Calvary. Our message begins because of Calvary. And thanks to Calvary, we're not who we used to be, brothers and sisters. And thanks to Calvary, there is a gospel that is available to the entire world. I say thank you, Lord, for the gospel that is everlasting. And this gospel is what was first preached when the church was born to that only gospel. What was preached? You probably already know. In Acts 2. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, isn't it interesting that that same message was preached by Simon Peter in Acts 8, Acts 10, but in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul picked up the mantle and he preached the same message. And centuries and pagan philosophy have taken that message and tried to change it, tried to corrupt it, tried to poison it. But brothers and sisters, the gospel is everlasting. Aren't you thankful to know that the gospel is here today and it is here to stay? I thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the gospel to be something that continually is finding me getting hungry for more of Him, always walking with Him, always living for Him, always looking for Him, never ever turning my eye away from the eastern sky, but knowing Jesus is coming soon. I want to constantly let the gospel of Jesus Christ be my face. Let's stand together, everyone. I want to tell you, the glorious, powerful truth should never be exchanged for powerless lies. I've seen it, and it brings tears to my eyes. I have individuals in my life, friends, when I was just a young man, friends who I thought would never change, they have exchanged the powerful truth for powerless lies, and their lives are corrupt today because of it. Folks, but I'm here to tell you the gospel is powerful. Those who obeyed the gospel, what happened? They turned the world upside down. They challenged the powers and principalities of this world. And the power of the blood still defeats the enemy. Woo, hallelujah. The gospel will give you a testimony. You can't argue that you've been saved to anything unless you've been saved from something. What is God saving you to, brothers and sisters? What is he saving you from? I hope you can say today, God, you're saving me from a world that's spinning out of control. You're calling me to a higher level of understanding and to a place I've never been before. I'm ready for the gospel. If anybody wants to have guilt and sins removed, that's the gospel's great power. Oh, the gospel takes people from darkness into God's marvelous light. And today I'm here as a gospel preacher to say, you're in the church this morning that believes in the glorious power of the gospel. The gospel will break their yoke. I feel, in my spirit today, I feel like someone's here who's facing addiction. I feel in my spirit there's someone here today who's facing a bondage of some kind. Can I tell you right here, right now, the gospel breaks the yoke of addiction. 
if you're sick and tired of old things and you're ready to let them pass away and all things become new, then this is for you. The gospel is powerful. The gospel should be personalized. Paul called it my gospel. This is not Pastor Haman's gospel. This is not Calvary Church's gospel. This is my gospel. I want you to say it with me. God, you're giving me a gospel today. You're giving me my gospel. That's, it's what sets me free. It's what set Paul free. I'm going to tell you that the gospel Paul called my gospel is the gospel that gave Paul a second chance. It's what turned him from being a zealot into the most powerful evangelist the world has ever seen. The gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, sin has been atoned for, judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued and the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted and the sorrow and the misery of the fall is undone. So today, need I say more? Can I just begin inviting those who are ready to say, God, take me to a new world. I want to be part of the church, the church of the Most High God with the gospel. Folks, this gospel was preached in the courts of Caesar, and it still works in Denver. Woo, come on, somebody. It transformed the Roman Empire. It can still touch Colorado. It reached around the world to you and to me. It changes my heart. It changes your heart. It changes my mind. It'll change your mind. But what's crazy is that 1 Corinthians 1.18 still stands and says, the world finds this gospel power to be foolish. The message of the gospel, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Oh, but to us who are being saved, it is the power. God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.